What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Thank you for making me part of your week, this week and every week. Coming up in this episode in segment number one, I brought a friend along with me and fellow Buffalo sports enthusiast to talk about the Buffalo Sabres trade deadline acquisitions and trades that they did miss out on. And coming up in segment number two, I'm going to talk about the last two games of the UB Bulls men's basketball team, including their double overtime thrilling victory against Kent State. So stick around and let's have some fun. Before we start this podcast, I want to take a quick time out to say thank you to everyone who has listened to me and continues to listen to me on a weekly basis. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, I want you to share it with your friends, your family, your coworkers, or anybody you know that enjoys sports talk about Buffalo. Let them know that they can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, on Anchor. If you want to contact me at all, you can get at me at my email, which is sportstalkbuffalo at yahoo.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at sportstalkbuff1. That's sportstalkbuff1 on Twitter to find out the latest news and notes from the show and also my opinions on a lot of the things that are going on in and around sports in general. Again, thank you all for listening. So let's keep this podcast growing and keep the ball rolling. So if you're ready, let's jump right into it. All right, welcome to segment number one of Sports Talk Buffalo, episode number 49. I have a special guest with me today to talk about the Buffalo Sabres trade deadline acquisitions. My friend and fellow Buffalo sports enthusiast, Jerry Wilkie. Jerry, thank you for taking time out to join me on this segment of the episode. Well, thanks for having me. The NHL trade deadline is one of my favorite times of the year, so I'm happy to be talking about it. Yeah, it was actually a fairly exciting trade deadline, considering the last few have been kind of duds. Um, I listened to the radio this morning. They actually said this was the most active trade deadline in the history of the NHL. They had 32 trades and over 55 players traded, so it was definitely a a very busy trade deadline. Uh, somewhat surprising for me is that Jason Botterill actually did not sit on his hands in this one. And he actually did make a couple of trades. He did not make the big splash trade that we all thought he might. But he did make a couple of trades in, in my opinion. He did definitely help the team out, even if only a little bit. Um, so how would you grade Jason Botterill's uh, trade acquisitions? Uh, before we do uh, have you go over his trade acquisitions, I'll, I'll tell you the, the trades that the Sabres did make. The Sabres acquired Wade Simmons from the New Jersey Devils for a conditional fifth-round pick. The conditional fifth-round pick turns into a fourth-round pick if the Sabres make the playoffs, and I think Wade Simmons plays in 10 games. Uh, Simmons has eight goals and 16 assists for 24 points in 61 games this season. And also oh, oh, and also in that trade, the Devils retained half of Simmons' sal- or $5 million salary, which is uh, extremely beneficial for the Buffalo Sabres, who had been up against the cap. And the second trade that the Sabres made, a little bit of a bigger trade, the Sabres traded away unrestricted free agent Connor Sherry and restricted free agent Evan Rodriguez to Pittsburgh for Dominic Cahan, who has 10 goals, 17 assists, and 27 points in 50 games played. He also had 37 points with 
the Blackhawks two seasons ago in 82 games played. So how would you grade out Jason Botterill's trade acquisitions at the deadline? Honestly, I'd probably give him, I'd give him a solid B. Um, I really wasn't expecting much. And if you look at the standings, Montreal is in, in the same position as Buffalo is, where they were more stellar and we were more buyers. It, it kind of gives the fans a little bit of hope. Like going into going into tonight's games, there were six points out of a final play or up the third Atlantic spot um, with the new playoff format, and going out and getting a couple players that can plug right into the lineup. I give them a solid B for that. How do you feel about the the Wade Simmons trade? Uh, they said that you know they caught a lot of he caught a lot of flack on on Twitter about that trade. Uh, we essentially got Wade Simmons for basically nothing, a fifth round pick. He's a guy that I like. Obviously, he's a little bit past his prime, but uh, someone that I still would like to see in the Sabers lineup for sure. Yeah, I mean we're not getting the Wade Simmons of Philadelphia, that's for sure. But if you look at um. I brought up a graphic earlier that Buffalo is dead last in the NHL in fighting majors with three. I'm not going to say Wade Simmons is here and he's going to go out and just start fighting everybody that he sees, but part of it is because we don't have any toughness on this team, and that's exactly what Wade Simmons brings. You can't you can't have your guys like Ico and Skinner getting bullied in the corner. Well, not necessarily bullied, but you know what I mean. Taking down in the corner and have nobody react to it. Now Wayne Simmons is going to be out there and he's definitely going to help out in that department. So I like it for toughness. He he could play every aspect of the game. Um, I've seen him on the power play. He's been on the penalty kill. He'd be out there in the final two minutes of the game if you're up by one trying to protect the lead. So I mean he, he's definitely a huge asset. He might not put a lot of points up on the board stats wise, but he's definitely going to make his presence known on the ice and help out these younger guys and be a solid. Uh, Yeah, I definitely like it. He's also waived a no-trade clause to come to Buffalo, and he said that he, I believe in an interview i seen on Twitter somewhere, that he said he would not mind playing in Buffalo for the long term. Now, obviously at 31 years old, I don't know how long long term is, but uh, he's definitely a player that I would like going forward if he did want to stay with the Buffalo Sabres. Like you said, he's definitely not the guy who's going to pop 30 goals like he did previously in his career. But he could be a solid uh, middle-of-the-lineup contributor, you know, top nine forward, maybe be able to bump him up into the top six, depending on injuries and things like that. He can give you, a, you know, some quality power play time on that second power play unit. And he definitely brings an aspect to this team, like you stated, that that the Sabres don't have is, is a little bit of grit, a little bit of toughness. He's, uh, you know, his grit and toughness and, and you know, his, his overall, uh, you know, intimidation factor could definitely help Eichel and, and some of the, the skilled forwards with a little bit more space uh, out on the ice. Let's jump and talk about the second trade. And we traded Connor Sherry and Evan Rodriguez for Dominic Cahoon. What did you think about that trade? I like it. It's, uh, Cahoon has played both center and wing. He's primarily a winger. Um, but you know the fans here, they've been and not just the fans, I'm sure their coaches and GM have wanted it too, but we've been dying for that second-line center. Middle stat still needs a lot of help. Dylan Cousins isn't ready yet. Um, and who knows if even, they're even going to work out in the long run. Um, so we need, a, we need a guy to be on that second line. Even if he plays wing and they move Marcus Johansson to center, that would be fine 
Chicago put in 13 goals, 24 assists for a total of 37 points. So he does have some, and that and that's playing behind guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and, and a pretty deep, deep offensive talent for Chicago too. So he's, I definitely welcome him. I, I like this. We didn't really lose much in that trade either. Evan Rodriguez has been noted that he's wanted out of here for a couple months now. Connor Sherry, you mentioned he's a unrestricted free agent, so who knows? I mean, better to get a better to get somebody for him than to lose him for free. <laughs> he did a pretty solid game uh, this year so far. He, he does tend to lose the puck a lot and fall down the ice a lot, so it's nice to see a new face here. Yeah, I definitely like the fact that he went out and and got somebody that could potentially be in the Sabers future, you know, in, in the lineup and potentially be somebody in the, in the, you know, the top three lines for the Buffalo Sabres and be a contributor. He worked out really well in Chicago. And you talk to the, you, you look at what the fans say and they don't have a bad thing to say about Cahoon. You talk to Pittsburgh, there's some Pittsburgh fans that weren't overly, you know, excited with him. He's had some injury problems over this past year, you know, with concussion. I think he also had a, I think as a knee problem, something like that where it has kept him out for, for a few games this season. But if you look at his, uh, you know, his point production, if, you know, he brings in 27 points to the Buffalo Sabres coming into here, and he did it primarily on the third line. So he definitely can can do it without, you know, having to have, you know, a, a Sidney Crosby on the wing, kind of like uh, Connor Sherry had to do. You know, we thought we had you know, a big asset potentially in Connor Sherry. But when you looked at Sherry, he came from the Pittsburgh Penguins in the year that he scored over 50 points. He spent most of that year on the wing of, you know, potentially one of the greatest players of all time in Sidney Crosby. And he just couldn't materialize that kind of point production in Buffalo. And, uh, you know, he ended up getting dropped kind of down the lineup. And the same thing kind of happened to him in Pittsburgh, which is why I believe they traded him to Buffalo in the first place. So it's good on Jason Botterill to, you know, obviously he wasn't going to be in the long-term plans being an unrestricted free agent and not really producing a whole lot. I think he's got, uh, he's got 17 points in 55 games, I believe it was, 19 points in 55 games. So he wasn't, you know, he's not a slouch, but he wasn't really contributing. You know, he went, a, has a bunch of games with, with no points and just not a very uh, solid forward without having to have that world-class center in between them. So, and like I said, he, he's going to be out for, he was going to be walking away at the end of the season anyway. So to be able to to pick somebody up who we could potentially control in a restricted free agent in Dominic Cahoon, and maybe he provides a spark in that middle six, because obviously we have a top line in the Eichel, Reinhardt, Olofsson line, and we have our fourth line in Larson, Gergensen, Zenak, Polso, they have played just absolutely stellar together, and to keep them together is a big deal, and I think it's going to be able to benefit the Sabres in the stretch run. Maybe they can make a magical run. Probably not. Their percentage of getting into the playoffs, I think it's like 4.4 or something like that. Uh, they actually have a higher percentage getting the first overall pick, but uh as far as I'm concerned, I would much rather them see them get into the playoffs. There was a kind of a heated debate on Twitter, and I was just a little curious as to your opinion. Being a, a Buffalo sports fan, uh, you know, we've seen what happened when the Bills made the playoffs. It kind of lifted a huge weight off of the organization's shoulders, and it you know it gave them a little bit more time to be able to to build something that 
could potentially be very special in Buffalo coming up here. Uh, do you think that's the same kind of case for the Sabres, where if they sneak into the playoffs this year and end, you know, an eight-year gold or an eight-year playoff drought, that it can kind of get the monkey off their back and you know give the fans a little bit more patience and and be able to wait for Botterill and company to be able to kind of build this thing up a little bit. Oh yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that a playoff appearance would would help out a lot. Um, I don't think the coach is in jeopardy as far as that, but I think Botterill definitely his job is a little bit in, in jeopardy. People, fans, fans are calling for his head since before the trade deadline. Honestly, he didn't go out and make any huge moves, so they some fans don't have the same opinion out of, of him. But we're the Sabres are currently at the uh, longest active postseason drought for the NHL team, um, and it's definitely something you don't want as a city. You don't want that as a fan of the team. You don't want that. So I mean, anything can happen. I'm not saying that they're going to be last year's St. Louis Blues, but we get to the first round. You're matching up against a division rival because in order to get there. Most likely, you're taking that third Atlantic spot and not a wild card spot. So you're going to be playing against a team that you have some uh, familiarity with, and um, it's anything can happen there. You get at the most three home games. Try to make the try to get the fans into it. Take it to a game seven, and and I think they can make some magic happen. But it's uh, you definitely don't want to see your name next to the longest active playoff drought. No, and the really sad part is I I didn't realize this until I seen something on on YouTube in one of the videos that I watched that the longest act or the longest playoff drought uh, in NHL history is ten seasons, and the Buffalo Sabers, if they don't make the playoffs this year, will be at nine seasons, just one season away from the all time uh, record for not making the playoffs in the amount of seasons, and with the amount of teams that make the playoffs in the NHL, that is. Definitely not a good look for your organization, especially after your new owner came in and said they're going to do whatever it takes to make the Sabres a championship caliber team. They've actually been the complete opposite of that. Um, Not saying that they don't care. I'm sure that they care very, very much, but it's just not a good look for the organization and it's not a good look for, you know, potential free agents to want to come here to Buffalo and play when your team is constantly in the running for a lottery pick. That's just not something that that looks good for you. We're going to move on and talk about some of the trades that the Sabres potentially missed out on. They were mentioned to have interest in center Vincent Trocek from the Florida Panthers. Now Trocek had 10 goals and 26 assists so far this year, and he's been rumored to be of interest to the Buffalo Sabres for a long time. What did you think about uh, what... Florida got back in exchange for Vincent Trocek, and do you think the Sabres potentially had a better offer on the table? I've seen somebody, uh, I forgot who it was, but somebody tweeted that they did have a better offer. Um, but a couple different factors I see going in there. Number one, they didn't want to trade him within the division. They kept him in the conference, keeping him in moving to Carolina, but uh, after the realignment, as you know, Florida is now in our division. So, I could see that uh, that being a little bit of a factor there. Um, I couldn't even imagine what they would have gave up for him. In Florida's third, Carolina's case, they gave up uh, two two roster players and then two prospects. Um, just thinking about the roster that we have now, who could it have been? Um, maybe some cap casualties. Maybe a crystal line would have been in there. I, I would not have liked that. I think I'd rather have crystal line over Cho 
project there. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's that was definitely the biggest need. We, as a Sabres fan, we wanted to go out and get the number two center there to play behind Jack Michael on number one, but um, obviously they didn't really do that, and Trocek was the guy that, that a lot of people were thinking. But, um, yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to have him. I, I couldn't imagine what they would have had to give up for him. Yeah, from what I've seen on Twitter, it was a package that the Sabres believed was a better package deal than what they ended up accepting from the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, I believe that they did say that the package did, potentially did include a Rasmus Ristolainen as Carolina did need a defenseman. They did end up going out to get uh, Brady Shea for a first-round pick, I believe. So they you know, filled a need there also. But uh, the Sabres were definitely in the running to try to get Vincent Trocek, but I kind of figured it would be a long shot, especially at the trade deadline and especially where both teams sit in trying to get to that last playoff spot in the Atlantic division as, you know, Florida's only two points out, the Sabres are six points out, and realistically the only position that either of those teams have a real possibility of getting is uh, where Toronto sits right now with 72 points at least at the time of this recording, 72 points in that Atlantic division in that third spot because the uh, the other division is just absolutely crushing it. All those teams, it's a stacked division over there. So there's no real shot at, at either of them getting into that wild card spot. They're just too far out. So all the, the three teams that I mentioned, Toronto, Florida, and the Sabres are all vying for that third spot for uh, the Atlantic division. Another trade that uh, I had mentioned on my Twitter, uh, the Sports Talk Buffalo, at Sports Talk Buffalo, if you want to follow me, um, is the Jean Gabriel Pajot. He's having a career year for the, or he was having a career year for the uh, Ottawa Senators, and he had uh, 24 goals, 16 assists, and 60 games played. He isn't really a second line center in most teams. He's going to be a more of a third line center, especially if you look at his production through the the beginning part of his career. He is a little bit older. He's 27 years old. And I feel like uh, the Islanders gave up quite a bit for him. They gave up a conditional first round pick in 2020, a conditional second round pick in 2020, and a conditional third round pick in 2022. Now, it looks like it may have been a good choice for them as Pajot signed a six-year contract extension worth $5 million uh, annually. Um, but is that a price that you would have been willing to pay at the trade deadline in order to try to get a second-line center in here for the Buffalo Sabres that you know may even transition to your third-line center when someone like Dylan Cousins is potentially ready to take over that, that second-center spot? Um, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I personally do not like trading away any first-round picks. Um, you mentioned that it is conditional. And reading the condition here, it is, it is uh, lottery protected. So mm-hmm. if the Islanders or if the Senators end up, no, the Islanders, if the Islanders end up picking in the top three this year, um, it, the pick does turn to a 2021 first-round pick. But um, those other two picks, the 2022nd and the 
this year they're like an on the fringe eight seed or, or least amount of points making it to the playoffs type team. Uh, next year, who knows how much that's going to jump up, meaning that that first round pick you're looking at is probably going to be a pretty decent pick uh, one way or another. So I'd hate to give that up. So I probably would say no on this, on this trade there. Yeah, after looking at it and really, you know, diving into it a little bit, you know, Pajot is someone that before I really started looking into it a little bit, I was kind of upset that the Sabres didn't want to go out and get, especially because I knew that Ottawa would be sellers at the trade deadline. Um, But you're right in terms of giving up that first round pick for someone who has, throughout his career, not really shown the ability to be able to keep up the point production that he has had so far this season the second and the third they're not really a big deal you're not giving up too too much but that first round pick could potentially be you know a a real good player for the Buffalo Sabres in the future so giving that up is always uh, a big deal you know a lot of times especially now in the NHL these guys are able to kind of step right in and be you know instant impacts for a lot of teams but you know like I said it it seems to work out for the Islanders. He's going to slot right in at that 3C position for the New York Islanders, and he signed a six-year, $5 million uh, annually uh, AAV contract with them. So I guess if it if it works out for them, I mean, that's kind of, kind of good for them. As far as this whole thing goes overall, the Sabres, a lot of people are kind of upset that, you know, a lot of people like Connor Sheary. They like Evan Rodriguez for what reasons? I'm not really sure. I don't know if they're watching the same team I'm watching, but uh, in terms of net points gained between Connor Sheary and uh, Evan Rodriguez, they scored a combined 28 points this year. And when we brought it, we brought in two guys in Simmons and Cahoon who have a combined 51 points this year. That is a, a net gain of 23 points. You have Simmons who comes in he already has more points than Jeff Skinner. He already has more points than Marcus Johansson. Same thing with Cahoon. Both of these guys can slot right into the lineup, start playing essentially from day one. Cahoon, I don't. I think he might still be injured and coming off of the injury, so he. I don't think he's going to be in the lineup tomorrow. I know Simmons is going to be. Uh, one last question before we wrap up this segment. What did you see the lines that are projected uh, for tomorrow night's game, and did you like the projected lines if you saw them? I did see the lines. I can bring them up again, um, but I do. I, I believe what Sims was on the second line. Let me just bring them up. Yes. Yeah. If you have anything else to mention, I'll bring them up real quick. Yeah, Simmons was on the the second line with uh, Johansson and Skinner, and when I I did the projected lines on Twitter, I actually was going to put Simmons on that second line with Skinner and Marcus Johansson because my train of thought was. When Skinner and Johansson were producing at a at a high level, a very high clip earlier in the season, they had somebody that can kind of do the dirty work. He wasn't really producing a lot of points, but he did a lot of the dirty work in the corners, chipped it in, retrieved the puck, you know, he won some faceoffs for him and things like that. Was Vladimir Sobotka now Sobotka gets a really bad rap, but ever since he got hurt in the game against Tampa Bay. Now, I'm sure, I didn't go back and look at all the stats. Now, I'm sure that, you know, the stats were on the decline anyways. But ever since he got injured and they kind of took him out of the, the second line with Skinner and Johansson, that line has kind of completely fallen apart. Skinner's got one goal in his last 23 games or something like that, I believe. So 
it's really hurt them. So I think having that big physical presence on the second line will really open up a lot of space for guys like Skinner and Marcus Johansson. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest things that he brings to the lineup. Um, so it looks like what I got here is oh, that's projected lines. Uh, I, I can't find what, what you were looking at earlier. I do apologize about that, but um, yeah, I, I'm thinking that sentence is probably going to see some power play time too. Um, I don't know how much they want to tinker with that first power play unit with uh, with Brian Hart and Olsen and I go up front and we're still on the back end with Darlene, so I don't know if they'll see any time up there uh, with the top dogs, but you could probably bet that he's going to be seeing some power play time uh, with the second unit um, slotting in there with the Skinner and and maybe Johansson at his center and uh, standing in front of the net trying to those pucks into the net. Yeah, for sure. I, like I said, I, I I do like the overall trade deadline for the Buffalo Sabres. I really did think that the Sabres GM, Jason Broderill, was kind of going to sit on his hands again, but he made two trades that I think, I'm not going to say he won the trades, but he definitely didn't lose the trades, especially the Simmons trade. I think that one is a very solid trade for the Sabres, especially if they're able to sign him moving forward. I think he's going. he could be a potentially very good depth forward for the Sabres and, and Jeff, uh, chip in in multiple different ways for them going forward, if not in the future, at least for the next 20 games, and kind of give give you a reason to, to get excited for the Buffalo Sabres. The good thing for the Sabres is that they are trending in the right direction, and they are six, they are six points out of the playoffs right now uh, at the time of this recording with 20 games to go. And in the last 10 games, like I said, the Sabres are trending in the right direction. They are 6-3-1. and one. Well, the teams they are tracing are, ch- are trending in the complete opposite direction. Toronto is 4-5-1, and one, and the Florida Panthers are 3-7. and seven. So it is an absolute long shot for the Sabres to be able to make it into the playoffs. But if they can go on some sort of miracle run, uh, I think it would add a lot of energy to the area. It would add a lot of energy to the group. And I would just absolutely love seeing Jack Eichel uh, in the playoffs for the first time in his career uh, so that we don't waste a potential heart trophy type year for Jack Eichel. But Jerry, I would like to thank you for joining me for this segment of Sports Talk Buffalo. It's been a long time since you've been on, so I appreciate you getting on with me again. I can't wait to have you on a little bit more in the future, and I can't wait to hear more things from you. I know you got some some other things cooking uh, in terms of podcast websites, things like that. So I'll keep everyone posted in terms of that. But thanks again for joining me uh, for this segment. Oh, yeah, anytime. Anytime you want to talk Buffalo Sabres, Buffalo Bills, you know where I am. Just hit me up. You got it. Thanks very much. In the second segment, we're going to go ahead and talk about the last two games for the UB Bulls. They had an absolute thriller in double overtime on Friday night on ESPN. And tonight they had a a complete and utter letdown. But we'll talk about that in the second, second segment. So stick around. All right, let's jump right into things and start talking about the UB Bulls men's basketball team. We're going to start with the thrilling double overtime victory against Kent State on national television. The Bulls win 104-98, to and if you didn't see it, 
my goodness, you missed out on an absolutely incredible game. I cannot believe I actually had the chance to watch this entire game, especially because I had to work that night, but I was able to stream it on my phone. Thank you, ESPN and ESPN Plus subscription for being able to stream all of these things to my phone, especially when I have to work so that I can keep you updated and so that I can stay updated on all things University at Buffalo Sports. This game, like I said, was one of the best games I have watched in the time that I have watched UB Bulls basketball. It was fantastic. It was back and forth, and neither team was willing to give an inch in this game. They went blow for blow from the beginning of the second half until the last part of double overtime. It was simply just fun, fun, offensive basketball. Javon Graves in this game took over after the first half. He had just three points in the first half, and after the half, he scored 30 points. He finished with 33 points in this game, which is a career high. He shot an astounding, amazing, unbelievable 70% from the three-point line. He went 7 for 10. He was absolutely and 100% dialed in in this game. He was the go-to guy, hitting big shot after big shot. It was so much fun to see, and it's awesome when he is absolutely on his game. He is one of the best players in the MAC conference. He finished the game 11 of 22 shooting and 50% from the field. Also having good games and big games was uh, Antoine Johnson and Devontae Jordan, who had, uh, like I said, had big games. Johnson had 18 points in this game. He also hit a massive three at the end of the first half. The Bulls were down 39-30. to Johnson gets the ball with about three seconds to go, dribbles up the court, and is able to uh, hit a bank shot three from the, the right corner into, uh, you know, to make it 33-39 going into halftime. Just a huge, huge boost for the Bulls going into halftime at just a two-possession game instead of a three-possession game. It gave them tons of confidence to come out in the second half, and everyone was just completely and 100% dialed in in the second half, especially, as I mentioned, Javon Graves. Now, the other player who had a great game in this one was Devontae Jordan, Jordan finished the game with 20 points, 9 rebounds, and 7 assists. He is the senior leader of this team, and he was absolutely dynamic. He was stupendous, and I couldn't have been happier with his game. He has really, really played well this year, especially when the Bulls need a big shot. He's able to kind of hit the big shot. He's not known for his offensive prowess. He's known more for his defense, but I got to tell you, this year for the UB Bulls, he has taken his offensive game to the next level, and it has really benefited this team when they needed that senior leadership from Devontae Jordan. As I stated, offensively, the Bulls were dynamite all game long. They shot 47.3% from the field for the game and 48.3% from behind the arc. They normally only shoot at about a 32% clip from behind the arc on the season, so they shot incredibly well from 
the three-point range, and also free throw percentage. They shot 76%. Now, it's not that great, but the Bulls normally shoot at around a 70% or lower clip from the free throw line, so 76% is something that I will take all day, every day from the Bulls team. Now, they also grabbed 15 offensive rebounds. The Bulls are just, they just hammer the glass on the offensive end, and it shows every single game they get tons of second chance points and second chance opportunities, especially because of Josh Mbala. He is just an absolute stud, and he is just a sophomore, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic get for Nate or for Nate Oates, for Jim Weitzel and his staff for him to transfer to the UB Bulls. Now, defensively in this game, they did struggle a little bit against Kent State, who shot 50.7% from the game, but they did hold them to just 6 of 22 from behind the arc, or 27.3% from three-point land. That is uh, something that is very telling for the Bulls. They score a lot of points, but this year they give up a lot of points. It looks like their defense in a lot of games is lackadaisical, so to speak, confused, and just not in the right spot in a lot of the times when you watch this team play. It is something that's so infuriating because they have all the talent. It's right there in front of them, but they just can't seem to turn that corner on the defensive end. This game was absolutely huge for the Bulls as Kent State is one of the teams that they are vying for that fourth overall place in the MAC conference to get that bye week to go right to Cleveland to have to play one less game to win the MAC conference and get into the NCAA tournament. The Bulls, again, are attempting to get into the tournament for the fifth time in school history and the fifth time in the last six seasons. You heard that right. The Bulls are trying to get into the NCAA tournament for the fifth time in the last six seasons, but This year, they are not a lock to get into the tournament whatsoever. They have to win the MAC Conference uh, tournament in order to get into the NCAA tournament this year. Moving on to the next game, it was tonight, uh, on Tuesday night, as I'm recording this, I could not have been more let down after the game they played against Kent State. They came in and just never got tread, never got traction in this game from the get-go. The fact that they only lost by 11 points is pretty astounding in and of itself. The Bulls uh, had Ohio State go on an 18 to nothing run to start the game. To start the game in the first five minutes, the Bulls were already down 18 nothing, and they just simply could not overcome those early struggles. They took several bad shots uh, in the first five minutes of the game and were very, very poor on defense, not closing out on the three-point shot, leaving a lot of guys wide open to be able to get you know good and easy looks at the basket. And guys at the Division One level are not going to miss these shots when you give them wide open looks like that. The Bulls were were able to pull within five in the first half, but that is as close as they got all game long. After they pulled within five, Ohio went on a nine to nothing run to uh, bring the lead back out to 14 points. And that's essentially kind of between nine and 14 points is where it stayed for a majority of the rest of the game. Offensively in this game, 
They were absolutely dreadful. They shot 33.9%. And at some points, Ohio did switch to the zone offense or the zone defense, which seemingly the Bulls just don't know how to attack it. Maybe it's Jim Weitzel. Maybe it's the players not listening to the direction that he's giving them. I'm not sure. But whatever it is, they have to figure it out because if I'm any team playing the Bulls, I'm practicing the 2 3 zone offense or zone defense. And I'm going to beat the UB Bulls. They are not going to beat you if you play a halfway decent zone defense because they simply don't seem to understand how to attack this kind of defense. And it really slowed the Bulls down in the second half when they were starting to get you know, their footing under them a little bit, starting to kind of close the gap. You could see the momentum turning a little bit, but it just never materialized for the Bulls. The leading... The uh, score for the Bulls in this game was, of course, Javon Graves. He had 16 points and 7 rebounds. That's just not going to get it done, unfortunately, when everyone else is struggling. The, he shot 6 of 17 uh, from the field and in the second, or 6 of 17 in the second half. And it just, like I said, it's just not good enough for the Bulls to be able to win games when everyone else is seemingly struggling. Johnson was the second leading scorer on this team. He started the second half very, very strong. He had all eight. He had the first eight points uh, of the second half for the UB Bulls, including a couple of really clutch free throws that really brought them within uh, striking distance in this game. But he just, it, it the, the woes compiled. And when I seen Antoine Johnson go down on a 2-on-0 with Ronaldo Segu and try to get the big hammer dunk, and completely blow the big hammer dunk. I knew that at that point the game was over. I hung my head, and I knew that this was not the Bulls' night. Antoine Johnson does not miss that a hundred times out of a hundred, and for some reason tonight he just completely blows the dunk. It is a five-point swing because they get a three-point play going the other way, and it's just uh, not a good look for the Bulls, especially in a game in these games that are so important. Defensively, as I stated before in, in the other game, they looked lost. They routinely overplayed guys, giving them clear driving lanes, or they kept leaving their feet on the pump fake, uh, leaving guys wide open for three uh, for open jumpers, or they were collapsing too far, which again led to guys having to jump and leave their feet in order to try to contest shots. But every time the, the Bulls collapsed too far, they just did a little pump fake, they sidestepped to the right or left because the, a, a bull went flying past them in the air and had an open look at a three, and they just knocked him down. They looked confused from the very beginning, and they never figured it out. It was an, They went from one of the best games to watch to an absolutely horrible game to watch uh, for the Bulls. Thank goodness this one was not on national television. It was only on ESPN+. So... A whole bunch of people did not have to witness the Bulls just get their doors blown off in this one. And this is the problem with the team that I've seen. They're just not consistent. They lack consistency. They have all the talent in the world offensively. They have so much talent on this team, but they simply just cannot find the consistency. And maybe it is them just being too young. The last year, the Bulls had so many seniors in the lineup that when things started getting tough, it was just a super calming presence on everybody there. The Bulls only have Devontae Jordan, really, as a senior leader, and, and Antoine Johnson, but 
outside of that, you know, you don't have a whole lot in terms of senior leadership that can really calm things down for the Bulls. So you can really kind of see the inconsistencies start to creep in. The Bulls, after this loss, they fall to 9-6 and six in the MAC. They are tied for the fourth spot with Ball State in order to get that bye to Cleveland for the Mid-American Conference Tournament. And they fall to 18-10 and 10 overall. They have just three regular season games left. The next game is Saturday at 2 p.m. It is a home game at Alumni Arena. So go there for that. Support the Bulls. Have a great time. Unfortunately, I will be out of the country. I probably will not be able to watch that game. So I will have to try to figure out a way to finagle and maybe record the game or see if I can stream the game on my phone from the airplane. I'm not sure, but... Uh, you know, enjoy the game. Hopefully the Bulls can come out with the win. Hopefully I come back to the States and I think to myself, man, I missed some really great basketball. Uh, but they only have three games left before the tournament. You want to go into the tournament feeling good about yourself. You don't want to go into the tournament hanging your head and feeling low about how you're playing. So these next three games are going to be very, very important, not just for the Bulls as far as going into the MAC tournament, but I think as an overall success for the season for Jim Weitzel's first season. I think if he hits that 20-win plateau for the season, he's only hit it one time in his head coaching career at the Division One level. So I think if he gets to that 20-win plateau for the UB Bulls men's basketball team, I think it'll do a lot of good things for the program. It'll show that they can consistently win 20 games and that even if they lose a ton of talent, which they did, lost a ton of talent, last year that they can continue to build and it'll keep attracting guys, uh, high quality guys to this program. But that's going to do it for this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Remember the best way to support me if you like me is to spread the word about me. You can tell your friends, tell your family, your coworkers, or whoever likes to listen to Sports Talk about Buffalo. They can hit me up on yahoo.com at uh, Sports Talk Buffalo at yahoo.com. You can send me an email. You can hit me up on Twitter at Sports Talk Buff One. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Sports Talk Buffalo or at Sports Talk Buff One. If you want to leave a voice message, you can leave a voice message right on the anchor site and I can potentially put you right into an episode. You can ask me a question. You can give me an idea as to what to cover if you would like anything like that. I welcome any and all criticisms or comments or compliments. I welcome all of it. Feel free to hit me up at any time you want to. Remember, you can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right on the Anchor site, anchor.fm. Thank you guys for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic week.